You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. This is week number two in our series called Love Never Fails. And uh, just a little heads up, we had a technical glitch last week. And uh, so right now, the message from last week is not available online. What I'm going to have to do is is, uh, record it again and uh, put it out there. So I'm just going to preach last week's message again today. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Y'all were like, okay. So... (laughs) So anyway, it'll be, we'll get it out there one way or another, but I'm going to do some review this morning, a little more than I normally do, uh, just because of that reason. And so uh, let's just jump into this. Let's look at our foundation scripture found in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. This is the love chapter, if you're familiar with the, the, the book of Corinthians that Paul wrote. And uh, so this, this, these verses are the standard. We said last week that these Five verses that we're getting ready to read set the standard for what our lives should look like. So again, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible, so let's look at this. It'll be on the screen for you, and it's on your handout. Here we go. Number or Verse 4, love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy, is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily, Verse, oh, there, yeah, there we go. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly. It does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. You know, we could bow our heads, pray, and go home, and if we could do that phrase right there, we've done a lot. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Verse 7, love bears up under anything and everything that comes is ever ready to believe the best of every, say every, Of every person, its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. And lastly, verse 8, first three words, say it with me, love never fails. Now, in your thinking, does never mean never like it does to me, like it ain't going to happen, okay? So these verses, if, if we will endeavor to obey and walk in these verses, Verse 8 will be fulfilled in our lives in the sense of that if, if love never fails and we walk in love, and I'm talking about the God kind of love, then failure becomes something that's not a part of our lives as well. And uh, I just believe that that's what the Word is telling us. Now again, these verses are the standard. So when we're looking at, am I walking in love? Am I walking in the God kind of love? This is how we measure it. We don't measure it by what the world says is love. We don't measure it by what we feel like is love. Uh, We don't measure it by anything else except what God's Word says right here. So 
as this series unfolds, we'll dive into these things and let these be the measure, measuring standard for each and every one of us. Now, last week, we answered the question, why does God make such a big deal about walking in love? Why is love so important to the Lord? Well, the first thing is, none of this is on your notes. It's all in review. But here's the first thing, and that is this. Love is a commandment. Love is a commandment. Jesus said in John, the 13th chapter, verses 34 and 35, he said, a new suggestion I give to you that you, huh? Is that not what it says? Okay. Uh, a new helpful hint. Okay, no. He said, a new commandment. I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. Well, pastor, I'm not under the law and commandments. Well, I beg to differ. You may not be under the Old Testament law, but you are under a law as a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you're going to be a true Christian, then and Jesus is Lord. You know what that means? It means he's boss. And if the one that's in charge says, this is what I'm telling you to do, then, then it would serve us well to obey. Can I get an amen? amen? So he said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So again, this is the commandment. So you and I, can I say it to you this way, just to be real plain, if we're going to please Jesus, we have no choice but to obey this commandment. It's not optional. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Okay. All right. So that's one reason that it's so important in God's mind is it's a commandment. Here's the second one, and that is Galatians chapter Five and verse six says this, faith works by love. So we are a faith church. We believe in the full word of God and we believe in the life of faith. However, your faith will not be productive, will not function and will not reach its full potential without working with the love of God. So you're not gonna have a, a strong, successful faith life without walking in love at the same time, okay? The next thing, the next reason that it, God makes such a big deal about it is, is the love of God will drive out fear. You know, I don't have to be afraid. Like the song saying that, uh, or said that we sang earlier, you know, I don't have to fear when I know God loves me. Okay, if, if, you know, and, and I quoted it when I prayed, but listen, like Paul said, if God is for us, who dare be against us? Let everybody hate us, but if God is for us, who cares? I don't have to be afraid of anything. So fear goes out the window when I know that God loves me. And that's what 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says. Perfect love casts out fear, okay? The next reason, and this is the most important of all of them, and that is this, God is love. Now, I said to you last week, God has faith. God has power. God has wisdom. God has strength. 
But the scripture says he is love. He does not have love. He is love. 1 John chapter 4 verse 16 says it specifically. God is love. So that's why God emphasizes the love walk the way that he does. Now, as I said to you last week, you know, my goal in, in this teaching and in really all of my teaching as a pastor is to bring us as a body, as a local church, to a place where we have a reputation. And our reputation is such that people know that if they bump into somebody from Spring Hill Church, they're going to be the most loving people they've ever been around. Now, can I say this to you? Don't interpret love as weak. Now, nobody exhibited love any more than Jesus did. And, you know, people have this strange image of Jesus that Jesus walked around. He was white, by the way, and he had long hair, and he wore, carried a little lamb and wore a white robe. Okay, he was none of that, all right? He was not white. He was Middle Eastern, okay? And he was a man. Amen. Hello? Okay, and, and listen, he was not out of love when he went in and turned the tables over on those money changers in the temple and drove them out of the temple. He was, he was a strong man. Listen, Jesus was a carpenter by trade. Now, you do understand that as a carpenter by trade, in his day, you didn't run down to Home Depot and buy the latest battery-powered tools to use when you're working, right? You do understand that. So anything they sawed, anything they cut, anything they, they uh, you know, any wood that they built, anything out of, they did it all manually. Yes. Meaning, Jesus was not weak physically either. He was a man, all right? He was a real man. All right, so I can tell that's exciting to you. Praise the Lord. But here's what I want us to see is that don't have a misunderstood or a misconception of what it means to walk in love. Sometimes love is tough. You parents ought to understand that, okay? Sometimes out of love, you have to say no. Okay? All right, we'll get into some of that. Praise the Lord. So what does the love of God look like? We talked about this last week. So what does the love of God look like? If I am looking for the love of God, what does it look like? Paint me a picture. Here we go. God's love is unconditional. You will never be able to earn his love. You will never deserve his love. And, there, and, and on the flip side of that, there is nothing you could ever do to make him love you less. That's exciting to me because I have jacked some stuff up in my life and the fact of the matter is he loves me the same in spite of that. So his love is unconditional. So that means if, if we're going to walk in love like God does, then we're going to have to love some people unconditionally. The second thing is, is God's love is sacrificial. The Bible says in John three sixteen, quote it with me, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. He sacrificed his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
The love of God gives. Okay? Here's the next thing. God's love is personable, meaning it's directed to you. It is, he loves you individually. Now, God is so awesome. He's so big that he can love everybody, all, almost 8 billion of us. He can love us all collectively, but he also knows who you are and loves you individually. His love is personable. His love is accessible. It's there for us anytime we want it. You know, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. So, you know, you can be in the worst condition spiritually that you could possibly be in. You could be in the darkest place physically, and I'm talking about, uh, you know, a bar, whatever you want to call it, and if you turn your heart towards God at that moment, his love is waiting for you right there. Okay? God will never say to people, fine, I will take you, but you got to go get cleaned up first. He never will do that. All right? And then lastly, God's love is receivable. Receivable. Now, and I said this, and we'll emphasize this a little more in the future, but I want you to understand this. How many of you want to love other people the way God loves? Okay? Here's the secret to it right here. And that is this. The secret to walking in love towards others is to first walk in how much he loves you. In other words, you will never be able to love other people any greater than the degree you have a revelation that God loves you. Now, here's why. Because you can't give something you don't possess. So if you don't have a revelation of God's love for you, then, then that's going to make it difficult for you to truly love other people. And so, you know, it, it's so vitally important that we understand that. So your love walk will never go beyond the, the ability to receive the love God has for you. And then lastly... The last thing we said last week is the good news and the, the underlying punchline, if you will, of all of this series is this, you already have what it takes to love people. Yes. Let me prove it to you. Uh, Romans 5, 5 in the Bible in basic English says this, and hope does not put to shame because our hearts, say our hearts, does that include your heart? Okay, as a believer, your hearts are full. Say full. Full of the love of God through the Holy Spirit which is given to us. So whether you feel like it, whether you realize it, you might have just learned it the moment we just read this verse. Whether you understand that or not, by the Holy Spirit, when you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, God poured all the love that you could possibly need on the inside of you. It's already there. Your heart is full of the love of God. So the good news is, and this is what I want you to see, you already have what it takes to love unlovely people. Okay? Say that after me. Say, I have... The love of God on the inside of me. I am full of the love of God. 
turn to somebody close by and say, I can love you because I'm full of love. And you are too. So you have to love me. <laughs> All right. Now, okay, that's the end of my review. Let's move on. Let's look at Luke, the 17th chapter and verse 1. And so let's get down to some nitty-gritty basic things. Now, I want to say this to you. As we have covered, or as we're covering this, I want to warn you against something. Okay, I, 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 and this was a few years ago, but I, I um, had somebody comment, and I can't remember if it was on our podcast or on the website or something. But anyway, somebody commented and um, said this, uh, and I'm trying to remember exactly how they said it, but basically they made a big deal of the fact that I had, rec or, or not recently, but I had already preached the content of that message before. In other words, that, and, and I promise you, I'll, I'll be up front with you. You know, and there's probably nine, close to eight, nine years worth of content of messages on our website. I promise you, if you go looking through our website and you dig hard enough, you're going to find that there are certain things I preach on a lot. Okay? One of them is faith, one of them is healing, one of them is the love of God, one of them is who you are in Christ. Those things I talk about a lot. So, here's what I want you to understand. It doesn't have to be new, it just needs to be now. What God wants us to talk about now. And so what happens is, is people sometimes, and this is where this person was coming from, is I want to hear something new you know, amaze me with some deep spiritual revelation. Okay, there is no such thing. Okay? There's nothing new under the sun, Ecclesiastes says. So listen, when, and, and here, <laughs> I didn't reply. Okay, just FYI. I wanted to, but I didn't. I wanted to say I wouldn't have to preach it again if you'd get it the first time. But that was ugly, and I, I didn't want to say that. So, but, you know, that's what I wanted to say. So, but anyway, what I want to warn you against is at, when you hear some of these things and something on the inside of you goes, I've heard him talk about that before, don't go click, turn it off. No, go click, turn it on, because there must be a reason that the Holy Ghost wants me to hear it again. Because maybe... I didn't get it that time. And I want to get it this time. Okay? All right? So, now that I've said that, let's look at Luke 17 and verse 1 because we're going to talk about the very reason that you have to walk in the love of God, and that is this. Luke 17, 1 said that Jesus said to his disciples, it is impossible, everybody say impossible, impossible. that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. Now, I'm going to break this down a little bit. The word uh, impossible there means unthinkable. So Jesus is saying, don't, it, it's not even, it, it is unthinkable to think that you're going to be able to navigate through life and not have opportunities to get offended. 
Some of you got offended as you were going around that roundabout repeatedly this morning because you felt stuck because you, you, you didn't understand how the detour worked. Okay? All right. But what I want you to see is that as long as we're in this life, in this broken world, and we have to deal with people. Anybody in here has to deal with people. Okay? All right, I don't think there's any of us that you never have to deal with people. So as long as you have to deal with people, Jesus said it is unthinkable that you will not have an opportunity to get offended. One translation says it this way. It's simply unthinkable that you would allow yourself to dream that you could live this life without an opportunity to become offended. Some of you might have an opportunity to get offended before you get home after church or before the sun goes down or before your day gets going tomorrow. So what we want to do is we want to look at the Word of God, find out what does the Word tell us to do and how to handle this thing called offense, okay? Well, the first thing we can do is let's understand what offense is. When, I, when you say, and we hear it a lot in culture today, I'm offended. They pointed their finger at me and I got offended. I didn't feel like I was in my safe space anymore. Okay, no. All right, so you hear that a lot. So let's look at what an offense is. Offense in the, the Greek language, when Jesus said it's unthinkable that we would not have opportunity to get offended, the Greek word for offense is the word scandalon. Now that's interesting because our English word scandal comes from the word scandalon. Now let me... Let me, I'll read this and then I'll further explain it. The trigger, a scandalon is the trigger of a trap on which the bait is placed. So if you're familiar with an old school mouse trap, anybody remember those? You know, where you have that spring and you pull it back and it's got that little bitty piece of metal and you put peanut butter or cheese on it or whatever in order to lure the mouse there. So the trigger that you put that bait on is the scandalon of that trap. Okay, it's where the bait is positioned. So it, it is the place on the trap, which the bait is placed, which when touched by the animal, springs and causes it to close, causing entrapment. An enticement to behavior which could ruin the person in question. Okay, so what am I saying to you? To get offended, or let's talk about an offense. An offense first is a bait that is placed there for you to get you to trip the trap and get yourself caught in a situation that you don't want to be caught in. And ultimately, it's designed to bring your destruction. This is serious, serious business. Now, you know, and there's different levels of offense, okay? And I'm joking when I talk about, you know, getting offended in traffic or getting offended at this or whatever. But there are some really big things that happen in life that cause offense. You know, when, when harm is done to us or to someone we love, we, we have an opportunity to get offended at that. So there's varying levels, but what I want you to see is 
The end result is designed to do the same thing, and that is this, to cause you to get destroyed. All right? Now, so that's what a scandal line is. So Jesus said, don't think, it is unthinkable to think that you're going to go through life and the devil is not going to bait you to fall for the trap of offense. Because he will. Okay? Are you with me? Okay? So, so Jesus, and, and by the way, when Jesus was speaking, that is the word he used in the Greek slash Aramaic language, and all of those listeners knew what he was talking about. And so he is trying to warn us about events that can happen in our lives with the potential to trip us up. Sometimes Satan baits us with something, drawing us into the trap, knowing that we'll get offended at it. Okay, can I, can I say something to you? And let me just, and I'm not glorifying the devil when I say this, I just want to bring a little revelation. The devil is not God. God is the only one that's all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-present. The devil is not all-knowing, he is not all-powerful, and he is not all-present. So let me say it to you another way. The way the devil and his team, by the way, gain information is by listening to what you say and observing your behavior. Okay, so, all right, and, and you know, and I don't mean this to scare you, but it's just the truth. As you navigate through your day and through your life, you've got angels that are watching you, and you've got demons that are watching you. And they're making note of your behavior. They're making note of things that you say. They're making note of weaknesses that you display in your life towards certain things. And the reason that they're observing those things is so they can find weak points in your life. Because how many of you know, they're at least smart enough to know, I'm not going to attack you where you're strong. I'm going to attack you where you're weak. So if you display, let me just use this as an example. If you display uh, a, a leaning towards having a short fuse. In other words, you, you, you have a, a temper that flies off. And, and, and if you display that kind of behavior, guess what? That is a weakness that you have displayed towards the enemy. So all they have to do is orchestrate some things to know all they've got to do is push some buttons and you're going to blow up. Yes. Are you following me? Okay. All right. So what I want you to see is what they do is they lay a trap for you and they put bait on that trap in order to catch you and trap you and try to bring you to a place of destruction. Okay, are, are, are you clear on that? All right. So let's go to verse 2 in chapter 17. Jesus said this, it would be better for him. Now this is a person that causes offense. Okay, by the way, the person who gets offended and falls for the trap and gets into sin is no less sinning than the one who caused the offense. 
Both are in trouble. All right? So Jesus said it would be better for him if a millstone was hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Now, little ones there does not mean a child. Okay? In the Greek language, it actually means somebody who is not mature. Okay? So let me say it to you this way. If you know what somebody's buttons are and you like to push them just because you think it's fun, that's a no-no. Okay? Because you're taking advantage of a place in someone's life where they're immature. And that, that's not appropriate. Okay? Am I helping anybody? Okay. So he says, he goes on to say, take heed to yourselves if your brother sins against you. So if your brother or your sister or somebody presents an opportunity for you to get offended, rebuke him. Now that doesn't mean you yell at the top of your life, in the name of Jesus. No, that doesn't mean that at all. Okay, what that means is you pull them aside privately and you say, wait a minute, you crossed a line right there and that causes me a problem. Okay, you rebuke them. And Jesus said, and if he repents, what are you supposed to do? Forgive him. Okay, now here's what I want you to see. Write this down, please. The trap that is laid is to get you as the one that is offended also in sin, to get you in sin as well. As I said, the one who is laying the trap, the person, you know, whether they know it or not, they're, they're, they're in sin. But the, the purpose of the trap is to get you into sin too. Okay? Why? Well, what does the Bible say? The wages of sin is what? Death. Okay, now that doesn't mean that you fall over casket dead. Death can manifest itself in many ways. How about death of a relationship? Death of a job? Okay, death of a marriage, whatever. There's many ways that death can show up. Okay, so when we tend to get offended, now somebody says, all right, so I understand that the person who caused me to get an offense uh, sinned, but how do I sin if I get offended? Well, here's what happens when you get offended. Human nature is to look for something we call revenge. Okay? Or we have a tendency, <laughs> we, we, we have a tendency to justify all kinds of stuff when we've been done wrong. Well, maybe you don't, okay? All right. Yeah, you know, maybe we, we're not going to intentionally let it be known that we're trying to get that person back, but how about we're, when we're around some other people, we start planting some seeds called words where we slander that person who offended us. I knew this was going to get a little heavy, so just, just bear with me, okay? It's good stuff anyway, all right? So what we have a tendency to do is, well, did you hear about them and what they did? Or did you hear about, uh, you know, 
some failure in their life because what we're trying to do is make ourselves look good and them look bad. We justify all kinds of stuff when we are offended. Okay? So that's why uh, we're going to have to learn how to deal with this and deal with it quickly. Okay? And so now, in our minds, when we're offended, we have an excuse to sin and somehow we are duped into thinking that that sin isn't going to affect us. <laughs> you know, the Bible says in Proverbs, and it's a really interesting proverb, I think it's in the 27th chapter of Proverbs, it says this, the curse, well, just like a sparrow flies out and eventually returns to its nest, the curse causeless does not come. What that, what that proverb is telling us is, if the curse is showing up in your life on a consistent basis, there's probably a reason for it. Maybe you need to check up on, are you offended? Hallelujah. Okay, here's a, here's a bottom line fact that you're just going to have to settle right now. Write this down. Where there are people, there will be offense. Where there are people... There will be offense. You know why? Because everybody else is not as perfect and mature as you are. They haven't arrived yet. You know, nobody has reached the pinnacle like you have of perfection and maturity and spiritual life. Okay? So, unfortunately, we have to be around those people. Okay? The truth of the matter is... We're all the same, basically, okay? All right? But here's the good news, that no matter where we encounter people, the opportunity for offense is going to be there, but that offense does not have to end in destruction, rejection, and years of deep emotional issues. The only reason that offenses have such a dramatic effect on us is that we try and deal with them in an ungodly, unbiblical way. I want to say this to you. If we will handle offense the way God wants us to handle offense, you will come out of that opportunity to be trapped, unscathed, and protected. And can I say it to you this way? You'll come out smelling like a rose. Okay? All right? So when... We choose not to go God's way and we reject the word and we do it in our own way and our own, based on our own views and our own opinions. We exclude God from being able to help us and to deal with those things. And even if you did get offended, that God wants to bring about healing in that situation. But when you choose to deal with the offense outside of God's idea, you're keeping him outside of being able to help you and to heal that situation. Because I'm going to be real. Sometimes when offense comes, it hurts. Okay, maybe that's just me, all right? But no, how many, anybody ever been hurt because of offense? Okay, all right. Well, God wants to heal that. But we have to do it his way. Every offense that comes our way has the potential to destroy us. However, it's not the offense itself that contains that power. 
Write this down, please. The potential for destruction lies in how we respond to that offense. Now, I want to say this to you. Um, being a Christian does not mean you become a robot. Do you know what I mean by that? In the sense of, you know, nothing ever affects us. Nothing ever bothers us. You, you know, you, you don't have opportunities for your feelings to get hurt and all those types of things. Okay? The life of, of, of a Christian does not mean you're exempt from all that stuff. What it does is it provides for you a way to deal with all that stuff. Okay? Are you with me? All right, how about the rest of you? Okay. All right, I'm going to say this to you, and this is a wonderful promise. Hang on to this. There is nothing, say nothing. There is nothing that anyone says or does to you that can destroy you unless you respond to it in an unbiblical way. Wow. And, and, and it doesn't matter how big, how deep, how utterly destructive the, the offense seems to be. If you will handle it God's way, it loses its power to be able to destroy you. Okay, so let's look at a couple of things. How are these traps of offense, how do they come into our lives? All right, I'm no psychologist, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I can read. Okay, and so I've read some things, and let me show you a couple of ways that these things show up in our lives. Number one, unexpected behavior. Anybody ever had somebody respond to you in a way that caught you off guard? Okay, that's unexpected behavior. Uh, they say something and you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Okay, or, you know, you, you say something and somebody absolutely takes it the wrong way and you're like, boy, I didn't mean for that to happen. And, and so the outcome, the, the response was unexpected. Rick Renner in his book called The Sparkling Gems from the Greek, which I highly recommend, he says this, an offense usually occurs when you see, hear, or experience a behavior that is so different from what you expected and it causes you to falter, totter, and wobble in your soul. Wow, I didn't see that coming. Now, if you're like me, what happens is, and I, I have to guard myself with this, is that when that happens, the temptation for me is to replay that scenario over and over and over again. Anybody else like that? Okay. The reason that you do that is because it caught you so off guard. Their response, their action, their behavior, their words caught you so off guard that you're playing it over and over and over again, trying to do, figure out what did I do to deserve that or what's their deal, okay? And so unexpected behavior has an opportunity to bring offenses into our life. Pastor Rick goes on to say, in fact, you're so stunned by what you observed 
or by a failed expectation that you lose your footing emotionally. It rocks your world is what he's saying. Before you know it, you're dumbfounded, flabbergasted about something. Then your shock turns into disbelief. Your disbelief turns into disappointment and your disappointment becomes an offense. Okay? I promise you, listen, I promise you, if you look back at some of the times that you've gotten offended because somebody's behavior or words caught you off guard, trace it and you can follow those steps right there. Okay? All right? Now, here's a, another reason that people um, get offended. And we, this, we see this a lot in culture today. And that is this. Confrontation with the truth. Confrontation with the truth. Because I can tell you, I promise you this, and tell you unashamedly, if you don't like the truth, when somebody confronts you with the truth, you're going to get offended. Okay? What does that mean? What does that mean, the truth? Well, you hear... A, lot, a phrase a lot these days in culture. Well, that's just my truth. No, there's no such thing as your truth. There is only the truth. All right, let me give you an example, okay? In, there is no planet in the solar system or God's great universe where a man physically can become a female just by something happening here. It will not happen. It does not happen. That is the truth. And I don't care how many surgeries you get, how many uh, changes you try and make, how many times you put on women's clothes, you are still a man and never will be a woman. That is the truth. But that offends people who don't want to hear that truth. Now, I'm not picking on... People are just confused and deceived. Some of them just flat out demonically possessed. But what I want you to see is that, that when you try and confront someone that is in that mental state with the truth, they don't want to hear it, and it causes them to get offended. Okay? Well, I mean, let's, let's, that's a major situation. Let's bring it down a little closer to where we live. How about there's just some things about you that you don't realize that your spouse or maybe a great friend, somebody that's close to you, points out to you that is the truth, and you just don't see it because it's a blindside thing to you. You know, it's not in your rearview mirror. All right, so they point it out to you and they say, hey, I just wanted to mention to you, you have this tendency to do this right here. I do not. We get all bowed up. Okay, what happened? They tried to present you with the truth, but you didn't want to hear the truth. And uh, so you got offended. Okay, am I helping anybody? Okay, so... Listen, if somebody like that, like a family member, a spouse, a good friend, tries to bring you something and says, hey, listen, I just wanted to mention this to you. I've observed this in your life. You might be something you might want to be aware of. Listen, take it. 
and say this. Okay, I appreciate that. Thank you for loving me enough to point that out to me. And then you take that to the Lord and say, Lord, is this true? Is there any weight to this? And, and then process it and deal with it and make adjustments at that point. But don't, particularly if it's somebody you know who loves you and has your best interest at heart. Okay, hallelujah. Let me show you a verse. All right, look at 1 Peter, a couple verses. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Therefore, talking about the gospel, this is Peter. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, by the way, he's writing to Christians here. So when we're disobedient to what the word tells us, because there are people that get offended at the word. When the word says things like, uh, you need to change the way you think. You need to change the way you behave. You can't say some of the things that you used to say. Okay, so we get offended at that, and then we become this. To those who believe, he's precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Scandal on they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. Did you know there are Christian people who are offended? They get offended when God says, hey, psst, you need to grow up. You need to mature. Okay? They get offended. And the same Jesus who they loved when they heard the gospel now becomes a, a rock that they trip over and stumble because they're offended at the truth. Okay, I know that's none of y'all. I just thought I'd present that to you because you might come across some people that, that get offended at the truth. Amen? All right, so that's a couple of ways that people get offended. How are we, or what offenses are we supposed to deal with as Christians? So let's, let's talk about us for a moment. What offenses are we supposed to deal with? Number one, write this down, please. Past offenses. When I asked you a while ago, has anybody ever been hurt before? Everybody raised their hand. Okay. Well, if you have not dealt with that, then you're going to have to deal with that. Okay. Because here's what I want you to know. If you do not deal with that, I promise you it's stealing from you. Okay. And here's the second thing. If it's not something in the past, it's something that hasn't happened yet. So the potential for future offenses. And what that means is this. The goodness of God is, is so vast that he'll help you get prepared so that when opportunities to get offended present themselves to you, you're ready for it. And you're prepared. And you turn down the opportunity to get offended. Okay, so in Luke 17, verse 4, we read this, uh, well, let me, let me say this to you. Jesus said the only way to deal with offenses when they come is to forgive. Yes. Past offenses or present or future offenses. So in the past, you're going to have to learn to forgive those that have hurt you in the past you're going to have to forgive those 
who hurt you right now or present an opportunity for you to get offended right now, and you're going to have to make up your mind that when that or if that is presented to me in the future, I will forgive. Okay? Why? Because Jesus said to. That's why. This goes kind of along, along the lines of that commandment. Okay? Now, let me tell you how many times you're supposed to forgive. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll let Jesus tell you, that's better. And verse four, Luke 17, and if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Now that's just seven times. Peter came to the Lord. I didn't include this verse in your notes, but Peter came to the Lord at one time and said, hey, if someone offends me, how many times in one day should I forgive them? Jesus, and he quoted what Jesus said here, seven times, you know, and, and Jesus said, no, not seven times, 70 times seven. You know what that is? 490 times in one day. Now that's not a set number, so you get a pass on 491. <laughs> okay? No, Jesus is just telling you, hey, listen, it's probably not likely that somebody's going to offend you. One person's going to offend you 490 times in one day. He's just telling you, make up your mind that you're going to forgive when it happens. Now, what happened is in this story, and I'm almost done, in Luke chapter 17, verses 5 and 6, the disciples did something kind of funny. Uh, they got all spiritual on Jesus. <laughs> I got news for you. When you try and play the spiritual card on Jesus, you're going to lose, okay? Here's what they did. They said in verse 5, And the apostles said to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. Lord, I know we need to forgive, but increase our faith. Jesus' response was this. So the Lord said, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, Be pulled up at the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. In other words... Write this down. Forgiving people is never a problem or an issue with faith. It's all about your choice. In other words, it's, it doesn't require great faith to forgive somebody. It's all in what you choose to do. Okay? So, failure to forgive is a choice. Choosing to forgive is your choice. See, we, we hold on to offenses so that we have a basis for harboring sin, as I mentioned to you earlier. Offenses justify things like our gossiping, our backbiting, our judgment, and we use them to justify our bad attitudes and actions. Well, pastor, you don't know what they did to me. No, I don't. I really don't. But you do, God does, and the requirement is still the same. Forgive. We fail to see the destruction that this causes in our lives. Okay, so as, as I conclude this today, I want to begin this and then I'm going to lay some groundwork. And, and this is something we've talked about before, but we all need to hear it again. And that is this, what is forgiveness? If I'm supposed to forgive somebody that has offended me, and listen, um, There is no measurement or limit to the size of the offense 
that this does not apply to. And I'm talking about if you have experienced some horrible things, and some of us have, okay? The requirement is still the same. Now, um, as we talk about this in future lessons to come, I, I want to say this. Your forgiveness, your choosing to forgive that person is not signing off and saying what they did was okay. Okay? It is only posturing you so you can be okay. Do you, do you understand the difference? Because some have thought, well, if I forgive them, then, then that means that I, I, I'm saying that what they did was okay and it wasn't a big deal. No, it could be a huge deal. Could be astronomical as to the damage that it could cause you. But the requirement is still the same. So what is forgiveness? Let's look at Matthew 6, 12 and the Amplified. And this is right out of the Lord's, what we call the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said this, and in, in including it, and this is again the Amplified Bible, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven, left, remitted, let go of the debts, and have given up resentment against our debt tours. Now what does that mean? Somebody that's borrowed money from you? No. That's not what he's talking about. Matter of fact, and by the way, this is an excellent book. I, I highly recommend it. I want to read you a little quote from a book called The Bait of Satan, Living Free from Offense by John Bevere. He said this, when an offense occurs, a debt is owed. You have heard it said, he'll pay for that. I'm going to get him back for that. In other words, when you offend me, you owe me something. You owe me an apology. You owe me some type of recompense. You owe me something so that in my mind it could be made right. Okay? That's a debt. And what I've just done is I've put you in debt to me that you owe me something. Forgiveness is this. I cancel that debt. It no longer exists. And what I've actually had to start doing, uh, uh, you know, and just as a believer and as a pastor, when, when, when people have offended me or hurt me or, or whatever, I have had to literally say within my heart, Father, I forgive them in the name of Jesus and I release them from the obligation of having to repay, remit, do anything to make it right with me. I let that go. And if I never hear and I'm sorry from them, that's okay. That's between you and them. Okay? Now, again, in future lessons, we're going to talk about this. But last thing I want to read you or leave you with on your notes there, forgiveness in your heart Forgiveness means in your heart, you release that person from the debt that they owe you. Because here's a, a truth that you need to understand. Justice does not always happen in the way and in the time frame that we would like for it to happen. But here's what I know about God. Listen to me carefully. God is a just God. That's why he said in the word, 
Don't try and get revenge. Leave that up to me. Because here's what you don't want to have happen. And if you have any ounce of compassion on the inside of you, you don't want to leave that person in the hands of the possibility of them stepping out into eternity without God on their side. Does that make sense to you? Okay. And so we're going to get into this and, 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 and I'm telling you, I believe this is going to set a lot of us free. Because I believe some of us, you know, I don't know, I, the Lord hasn't revealed anything to me, but I believe some of us have been carrying some things around for a long time. And, it, and it's time. Jesus wants us free. And it's time to let these things go. And again, um, it doesn't mean that you've signed off and excused their behavior. You know, I, uh, I have a saying that I use and it, and it helps me, and that is this. There's never an excuse for bad behavior, but there's always a reason. So if you've been done wrong by someone, and, and you know, and, and again, different levels, understand this, there's never an excuse for that, but I promise you, somewhere down deep, there is a reason. You know, this, it goes back kind of to the old saying, you ever heard this? Hurt people hurt people. And let God kind of, and I'm not saying that, you know, you take this however you want to between you and the Lord, but let God work in your heart to maybe help you have some compassion towards somebody that has hurt you to understand this. Yes, they could have stopped what they did. They could have, you know, there's no excuse in what they did. But I promise you, there is down deep somewhere a reason that they did what they did. And that will help you to be able to let go of that debt and to understand. Okay, you know, let me just say it to you this way. They must be really broken and jacked up on the inside for them to behave that way. And if you'll begin to look at people like that, um, it'll help you to be able to let that go in, as far as in your heart towards them. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.